Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back to the program. My special guest today is Leah Zickman, author of For Crying Out Loud, Connecting Through Grief and Loss in the Digital Era. We talk about this book that takes a close look at the intersection of grief, loss, and the everyday American social media use. Through interviews with friends and acquaintances, Leah attempts to understand how, if at all, their moments of sharing help them. Are there aspects of engagement via social media that can be more beneficial than those experienced through face-to-face encounters? Leah, thank you so much for coming on to talk about your fabulous book for crying out loud connection through grief connecting see i should read connecting through grief and loss in a digital era thank you for coming thanks for having me i'm excited this is fun you know i'm just gonna let you start you tell me why you wrote this book because the timing i think is just perfect for you know, the world that we're in and, and dealing with life digitally. Yeah. I feel like the story has kind of evolved the further I've gotten away from it. So, um, a couple of years ago, I really was looking to build my writing career and just wanted, you know, I was looking for something else and I felt like there was this thing that I wanted to do that I, I wasn't doing, which was right. Um, and I signed up for this book writing program that I heard about through someone that I went to college with and like, I mean, life just started happening and I kind of forgot that I can put my name in for this program. Um, and then a little over a year ago, I found out that they had space in their program. Um, so that was like September of last year, they had space in their writing program Um, and I was so excited to do it, but I also was like, this is the worst time to do this. Um, I had just stepped away from my position at work. I was taking some time away, um, and was coming out of a few months of being a caregiver for my dad, who was really sick at the time. Um, and so I said no to the program and I was like, I'm so sorry, like, this is a, this isn't the best time for me to take on a project like this. Um, I just have too much going on. And I sent that email and like regretted it immediately. And like knew that that wasn't the decision I wanted to make. And I called my sister and I was like, I think I want to write a book right now. And I also feel like that's crazy timing and I don't know what to do. And my sister's like a a pretty realistic person. She's great for advice. And she was like, basically like, why are you calling me? Like, (laughs) I feel like you do know what you want to do. Um, And so it actually started with me wanting to write a book first and I would love to be like oh it's this thing happened and I wanted to write about it but it was that I I really set out to to create something um and so then in the beginning phases of this program we had to talk about things that we wanted to write about and the topic was there like I I kept noticing um on social media as someone who would describe herself as chronically online 
Um, I kept noticing on social media that there are these like these moments where people share something really intimate about their lives or something really painful that happened to them and get seriously criticized for it. Um, a lot of times people suggesting that they are looking for attention or something along those lines for having shared in that way. Um, and at the time that I started my writing program, I was fixated on one of these examples, which is in the introduction of this book, um, which is Chrissy Teigen, when she shared about losing her pregnancy. Um, and a lot of people were like, there with her and experiencing that. But then there were other people who did accuse her of like looking for attention um and for sharing that and so I actually set out to write this book completely separate from my own life experience and just to kind of take more of like a cultural like sociological perspective on social media and how we're talking about grief and so I committed to my writing program and maybe two weeks after that my dad got a call that he was finally getting the liver transplant that we had been hoping for for a very long time while he was super sick. Um, and so I spent, my sister and I spent that next month um, in the hospital with my dad through his procedure and through his recovery and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, in my 25 years of life, that was like the biggest thing that had happened to me so far. And it was a really big deal. And it was also something that felt um, like, very isolating from other people my age. I didn't really know a lot of other people my age who were going through things like that. And I just shared about it on social media as it was happening. So I would share on Instagram what was happening with his procedure, how he was doing, like anything that we needed. And my sister would share on Facebook and stuff like that. And it was kind of like a way for me to like put this hypothesis in action that like community does exist on social media and that like you can find connection in those spaces but I wanted to like be able to speak for it in my own terms um and so I was kind of sharing about my life and watching my dad's recovery happen as I was writing this book and interviewing other people in my life to try to answer some of these questions about how we're using social media right now, how people are looking at it and criticizing it, and is it helping people? Um, so yeah, that's sort of the gist of the book. I just was trying to like share my own experience and also ask people that I knew who had talked about their experiences with grief and loss and caregiving and I even interviewed someone about her divorce and like the grief process there and all of these different painful experiences um, and bringing them to like social media spaces and being like, does it help you to talk about it in this space? Um, and can we look at it differently for that reason? Well, it's a tool and it's, I don't think it's any different than before the internet when people got together and had support groups talk mm -hmm. to each other about stuff it's the same thing mm -hmm. i think there's just there's there's a, a mentality i think it's more from the older generation that social media is ruining the world which is the biggest lie well 
one of the biggest lies out there because it's not. It's just a tool. It's a phenomenal tool. It can be used for good or bad, like anything. Yeah, and what I found and like realized I felt really strongly about is that like any tool we have is just going to exacerbate something that's already there. Like social media exacerbates the part of our society specifically in the US that's very individualist that's very rooted in shame that's very like against community like there are a lot of things that i believe don't work in our society because we don't consider community we consider like oh i'm supposed to deal with this alone i'm supposed to suffer through this alone and so like as I started writing I was also like connecting to stuff that I learned like theoretically in college about individualism and just like writings and stuff that I had learned from other people just about just how much we learn this narrative that like you alone are supposed to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and create the perfect life and it's all out there and you can get it and like I just I don't believe those things are always true for everyone in the same way. Like inequality exists. There are people who are set up for really beautiful and great lives and they have everything in front of them. And then there are people who deal with these huge barriers and situations that block them from being able to have what they need. And then if we exist in a world where you can't even tell people about that experience without being judged, like you're just really shut off from a lot of community um and I wouldn't say like I felt that way I think for me I just kind of was like I'm in my early 20s and all I'm really seeing on social media is people like out at bars or people going on vacation and like doing all of these fun things and like what I want to share about is like yeah I guess because so many of the posts when when the social media started to happen was all all the the posting of perfection perceived perfection which Mm -hmm. is a myth and I've, I've, I've wanted to do, not that you want to dwell on, on, on your crap, but have a whole site just for traumas and garbage and the realities. Not that, not that people going out to clubs and having fun and vacations isn't reality. Cause it is, it's part of the life. It's part of the journey, but it's interesting how if you're posting dark things, negative things, other people feeling good for watching your stuff. Whereas if you're posting all your vacation pics and your perfect tans and cars and all the, you know, superficial stuff, people tend to feel bad about that because mm-hmm. they're, com- they're comparing their worst to your perceived best. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of, a, it's a funny, it's a funny arena that we're all, we're all in for sure. And it's also like, it's, it's just not always a reflection on you a hundred percent. Like I think if someone's on a fantastic vacation, like, okay, how did they get there? Like, did they have a lot of privilege in their life where they had access to those sorts of things where they can like take vacation off of work? Do they have a job that like regularly offers them that sort of stuff? Like, it's just these things that I feel like when you go on social media, you're just not like naturally thinking about in the same way. You're just like, oh, so-and-so like 
you know, they're in Mexico, like right now, and just like having the best time. And like, I'm just here, like, it's, it is very comparative. And I've talked to so many people who I feel like people my age that I talk to specifically are in one of two camps, which is either like, I use social media all the time, and it sucks. (laughs) Or I don't use social media because it sucks. And it's like, okay, so if we all hate the same thing, can we be a part of unpacking and trying to create something better and like understanding it better and like think about what it is that you're doing that might contribute to hating it like if if I was sitting in a room with 50 people and everyone was like yeah this I hate it here I would be like oh my gosh we need to fix that but like it just feels like we don't all have that same like collective commitment to each other in the same way when it comes to social media but people are like kind of fed up with it like they there's just such a consensus that that people are like ah yeah it's stupid it's you know it's a highlight reel you only see the good parts of people's lives it makes me feel less than and I you know don't use social media when I'm going through something really difficult or I use social media way too much when I'm going through something difficult and I just sit there and I compare myself to other people And it's just, I think it's so damaging. And so I think what I was trying to do in my book was like, first I was just connecting with people that I already knew who had been sharing about things that I was taking note of, like people who were caregiving and posting about it all the time and people who had recently experienced a loss and were posting a lot about it. And I was just kind of being like, tell me about, losing your mom like tell me about what like I was getting really granular with it at the beginning and asking like you know one of my friends the day that her mom died she like posted an Instagram saying that her mom died and I was like asking really specifically like did you read the comments that people posted on that day like did they do anything for you like what did that do for you? Like, there's no way to totally understand that all the time, but I just want to understand, like, what did that do for you? Because if it did something helpful, I want to get that. Like, because on the other hand, like, I think people are really critical of that and being like, why would you post that? Like, why would you be so open about something? And it's like, I don't think it's that wild to like, I don't know if you post what you're ordering every single day, if you post, like, if you, you know, I could post a picture from my apartment and people would know exactly how I decorate the inside of my apartment. But then if like someone in my family passed away and I felt ashamed to share that information, it's just like, what image are you projecting that you really want people to know about you versus not like that's my family's the most important thing to me. So it would be weird not to share that information. But I think we kind of have it really backwards sometimes when it comes to like, oh, why would you share that on social media? It's like, and why would you share what you're eating? No one cares. Yeah. Like, why do I need to know? I I hate foodie shots. I don't care what you've cooked. That's my problem. It's not theirs. Yeah. That makes it brings them joy. I'm like, great. But I'm just like, pass next. Right. And that's your prerogative. Like, you know, that's how you use social media. And you're like, I don't want to see that. Okay. Like I wanted to, I wanted to see more of what I wanted to be doing on social media. I wanted to be talking about my caregiving journey and I felt embarrassed about it because I was observing and I was seeing that people were like 
kind of calling it out and saying that it was attention seeking. So I was really trying to like dive into that and unpack and understand like, why do people think that? Because I like, I could easily say, I think it's attention seeking that you're posting like bikini pics while you're in like Mallorca. Like, I don't know, like (laughs) that could also be attention seeking. Like we, by using social media, we're inherently wanting attention. I want attention for the things that are meaningful to me. Yeah right now well and we have sometimes we have a tendency to think who who am i nobody wants to hear from me mm-hmm. and that's that's a lot of the reaction i get from people when i ask them to come on to my show mm. who wants to hear from me I mean, well i do for one but yet online we'll just like we'll post everything mm-hmm. which is okay again it's an arena it's a tool what were some of the like some of the like the biggest ahas as you were doing this, as you're doing all this research and, and the things you learned, something you didn't think you would know or didn't think you would learn or surprised about? I think one of them was not totally understanding like how far back it goes that we learned to internalize shame around grieving. And like I was familiar with Freud from just like general education and stuff like that. And I took a psychology class in college and we talked about Freud and um, you know, there've been many psychologists after him who have studied things and debunked some of his theories and stuff like that. But um, something I learned when I was doing this research was that like at one point he was really pathologizing grief and telling people that like after a certain period of time, if they were still struggling after a loss, that there was something wrong with them, that like they needed to work on that. And then years later, I want to say it was like 12 years later, but I could be wrong. Um, But like a significant amount of time had passed after he had published some of this research his daughter died and he grieved like any other parent would in losing a child, which is like, you know, one of the worst things that can happen to you in life. And um, like took back every single thing that he said, but it was too late. And like people already culturally had been making this whole shift and like before he asserted this, there were, you know, there was like the Victorian era. There was like, people who would wear like mourning gear all the time and show that they were in mourning and it was like socially acceptable. And so doing this research made me realize how much of our social norms are really shaped by people's behavior and by what we're learning from experts and the messaging that we're receiving and stuff like that. And I think my experience today is still that like if you're in any kind of grieving process or something like that, we're really uncomfortable with it in general. Like people really want you to be able to move on quickly or they're like, well, at least this didn't happen or, oh, you're so upset about that. Like it just feels sometimes like we like as a society are so, so uncomfortable with people experiencing grief because it would make us confront the things that we're afraid of. And so we're really trying to like push people past that. And it's not helpful for healing. Like 
And I, luckily I didn't have that a lot. Like I talked about in my experience of caregiving, I was experiencing what's called anticipatory grief, which is like a very genuine and regular process of like picturing your loved one dying and feeling and knowing that it's like a reality and stuff like that. And I had friends who just like were super understanding about it and like said all the right things they weren't going through anything similar, but there were other people who were like, yeah, but like, you know, he'll get better and like, everything's fine and stuff. And I, I just like, didn't feel that way. And I just wanted someone to empathize with what I was experiencing and being like, yeah, this sucks. I would be scared too. If I was going through this, I would think the same things you're thinking. And you can tell me every thought you're having. Like I had one really close friend, obviously I'm I'm very close with my sister and I wrote a lot about um, our relationship in my book. But I had another really close friend who just like kept affirming for me all the time. Like she was like, you can always share these thoughts with me. Like whatever thoughts you're having about your fears about your dad or whatever, like you can tell me these things and I'm not going to like call someone or like judge you or whatever. And like, I needed to have that. Um, But I think in general, we're really, really afraid of those thoughts and being around people who express those things. And like, I don't know, it's just part of life. I think one of the best things you can say to anyone in any kind of crisis is, I'm sorry, what can I do to help? Mm-hmm. But we, I think we feel like we have to say something and we're uncomfortable with it. And so we, we say, well, you know, like if one of your kids died, well, you know, you got three more. Well, that's not helpful. But we, we yeah. say things we think are helpful when they're terrible. Mm-hmm. It, it's so, you're like, you're not hearing me it's not validating at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, like you said, your friend said, this, this sucks. This would be hard, but there, yeah, we're uncomfortable. And, and so we don't know what to say. And, and I think people want, I think they want to be able to help and they, they're so helpless. So they are nervous. And I think say really dumb things, not intentional. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my theory on some of that. Why we're so uncomfortable with it. Because I now that social media is here, if if I had if if something was going on with me, if I had a disease or if I was on my way out, I I'm gonna I'm gonna doc. I told my wife I'm documenting everything. If something <laughs> if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, or I get cancer tomorrow, and have to go. I'm documenting. I'm podcasting about the whole thing because somebody can learn from that. That's my. Theory. I don't know if this is like too like PG thirteen for this podcast, but um... I don't have a rating. It's anything. <laughs> Mature audiences and immature audiences watch this. <laughs> We're good. There's a podcast I listened to one time that was phenomenal. It was two best friends. It's called Dying for Sex. And the one girl was given a terminal like cancer diagnosis. And she felt like she just like hadn't explored enough in her life. And so she like went out and had all these sexcapades and her best friend just interviewed her about them. And it was like, a really special and fun way to document her experience because I think she just didn't want to keep talking about how she had cancer all the time and people would always just want to ask her about it and she was like I want to enjoy myself like I want to have a good time and so it was a great podcast but it's it's just like an interesting like I'm sure there were people being like why would you document this like why would you share this and it's like because that's what she wanted to share about her life like I learned something like I shared it with my friends and was like this is a really light-hearted way to look at something that's otherwise pretty morbid. And I liked that. 
Yeah, because you got to laugh. You have, you have, I mean, I, God bless me with a sense of humor. And so I try to make jokes mm-hmm. all the time, probably inappropriate, but my timing sometimes, but you know, what, what's the, de- you know, my wife will always change the subject if something's difficult and uncomfortable. I'm like, let's, let's lean into that. And I, I have a friend who two years ago was diagnosed with like stage four chondrosarcoma, which is bone cancer mm. in his pelvis and his left pelvis literally within two weeks, he would have been dead. They, he had to have it amputated his left pelvis. So his whole pelvis gone. So he lost a perfectly good leg. And now, I mean, he makes jokes now. It's still hard, obviously, but he makes jokes about it. About oh, I only got I don't have a leg to stand on. Got you know he just he's always doing stuff like that because it makes it easier. Because if you just dwell on how sucky it might be, then he says you'll just go down these rabbit holes that'll you'll never get out of. Mm-hmm. So laugh at yourself, I guess. Yeah, you have to. Um. There was something else I was thinking about earlier. Um, I think I went off on a little tangent. Tangents are okay. Um, something else that I started learning through this whole process was how much of, I think you were saying like people don't always know what to say when someone's going through something and they want to say the right thing and they don't. And people can be really well-intentioned and that's great. But for someone who's grieving or going through something really awful, they need that sense of community. And so something I was writing about um, was that social media can be a really great tool for people who haven't found their community through their grief. Like there was a girl on TikTok who um, lost both of her parents in the same year, like through two separate tragedies, which was just awful. And She made TikToks about it and had all these videos of them and stuff like that. And then she just kept sharing about it. And there was someone who commented, like, why do you keep sharing this about your family? Like, isn't this kind of private within your family? And she was like, like, yes and no. Like, I feel like I'm talking about it with people close to me every single day. And I feel like I'm bringing them down. And sometimes doing this connects me to people who are going through the same thing. And it's just like validating and helpful to like have that experience. And it just made me see like, as much as we can look at social media as like a really negative space and like that it's, you know, doing all these awful things for like psyche or whatever, like the, there's a lot to be said for connection and feeling like your people are out there and I don't know if it helps you connect to people who have been through something similar or people who know how to even respond to what you've been through. I think that's worth something. Um, And so I think there's, I think it is powerful in that sense that it's been able to like connect people. Um, And there's just so many different like platforms and online spaces for people who are going through really, really specific things. Like my sister and I found this, um, well, actually, my sister found a caregiver for liver transplant patients Facebook group, which sounds so specific. Like, it's not just like, oh, like young caregivers or anything like that. It's like caregivers for liver transplant patients is a huge group that is active every single day. And there are people talking all the time about like different 
anti-rejection medications, getting the call to finally get a liver transplant, like all of these different things. And I just didn't know something like that existed. And I never would have looked for it either. Like I just, when you're in crisis mode, a lot of the times you just don't even think like, oh, I need to go find community on Facebook. You're like, I don't know how to fill out these forms. Like, I don't know how to do anything. You just like, can't think past the next thing that you have to do. And for whatever reason, like my sister just had the foresight to like, want to look into these groups. Cause she was like, well, I kind of know what to expect if we'll get a transplant, but I don't really know what's going to happen afterwards. Like, I don't know what to expect. I just want to hear stories from other people. And so that's kind of what it was for her. Like it was like giving her information that she was hoping to find. For me, it was just like, so validating to know there were so many other people out there going through something similar to us. And like, a lot of people were way better off than us. And a lot of people were way worse off than us, but it was just like a space that we all connected. And I just like, I didn't even like, I wasn't friends with any of these people on Facebook, but we would just post stuff about like, Hey, like this happened with my dad. Like we're looking for advice about this. And like, people would always chime in and be super helpful. And it was just like, when you've been through something similar to someone else, you just want to help them so badly. Like you speak the same language. And you, yeah. you, you know, you don't have to try to explain the situation to help them understand because they just do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's like such a shared internal language in that group. That's just like, like, I just didn't know I needed it. And then as soon as it was there, I just couldn't picture going through the experience without it. There were so many times that like things that I just hadn't thought to anticipate like when my dad got out of the hospital like he made a good recovery and stuff like that but we were like what kind of stuff is he going to need at home like what things do we need to order and they were like oh well like you'll need to get this for support and this to help him get out of bed and like oh by the way his anti-rejection meds might make him have hallucinations like be prepared for that in this week and this week and like you know, it's not alarming. It's not a big deal. You don't need to call the doctors if that's happening. And I'm like, okay, that's good to know. Because if anyone around me was having hallucinations, I would call 911. Like just hey. like little things like that. I just didn't know. Yeah. You would have freaked out. Like, uh, they take something out, dad. Yeah. Like <laughs> I just wouldn't have known any of that stuff. So it was really nice to have that community and also just people validating that we were all equals in this like caregiving thing. Like I was so sick of being treated like I was like too young to understand because I was old enough to be a caregiver. So did someone treat of... did someone treat you that way that you were too young to understand at some point during this? I think sometimes like doctors didn't always speak to me in the same in the way that I would have liked. Um, and I guess there's like a complexity there, which like my sister is a doctor and she actually like there was a huge difference in how doctors would speak to us because she would be like don't tell them I'm a doctor I want I, I just want them to talk to me like I'm his daughter because they start speaking in like doctor code to her and then all of a sudden I don't know what's going on and then I have to make her translate later and she was like I just want to be his daughter in this space like I don't want them to start speaking to me differently or whatever but I think sometimes doctors have this like natural tendency to like shield you from things and they just want to be like, Oh, everything's fine. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, just tell me the truth. Like, just tell me like where we're actually at in this process. So I can be realistic about it. I think more people can handle the truth than we think we don't give people enough credit. So we yeah. sugarcoat things to, which makes it worse. Cause then your mind starts filling in 
you know, where they're not telling you, you're like, well, it may be this, it might be that one. They could just tell you. I have another thing I can share, actually. Yes. <laughs> Do. Um, just on the, there was a story in a person that I wrote about that I wanted to make sure I shared about. Um, and her name is Jacqueline Revere. I actually met her through StoryCorps. Um, she came in to record at one point and I reached out to her because she had a pretty significant TikTok following for like chronicling her mom's um, experience with Alzheimer's. And Jacqueline was like kind of starting off or kickstarting her career in like TV writing and stuff like that. Um, and then found out that her mom was sick and moved home and became like a full-time caregiver for her. And she started making TikToks about it. Um, and just like videos of what they were doing on a daily basis and stuff like that. <clears throat> but then there was a video that she made one time where she was standing next to her mom and they were looking at a photo of Jacqueline as a child. And Jacqueline's mom looked at the photo and was like, that's my mom. And Jacqueline was like, mom, like you're calling me mom. And she was like, yeah, that's my mom. And she posted this video and like, I think didn't really think a whole lot of it, but she already had that context and like somewhat of a following of people who knew she was a caregiver for her mom. And it like blew up. And all of these people were like, oh, like I'm a caregiver and my mom calls me mom too. Or like, I'm a caregiver and like my dad calls me mom or whatever. And it was like, it kind of like brought light to this like very nuanced, but like common situation of like caregivers becoming the parents of their parents. And then like after that, I think she just kept building a following and sharing tips and information with people about you know, what she was experiencing as a caregiver. And um, so I interviewed her and I just talked to her about that experience. And then a couple months after I interviewed her, her mom passed away and she posted about it and like, let everyone know, like, Hey, my mom passed away. Like, and she took videos from the funeral and all of these different things. And it was like, so clear that it was such a visceral loss for all of these people who otherwise wouldn't have known Jacqueline or her mom without social media. And these people were like, we, we love Lynn. Like we care so much about her and like, we love you. And like, you just did so right by her as her daughter and all of these things. And like, it was just like a really, I thought like a really kind communal experience that like you just might not otherwise like see and it also opened up a really good conversation for Jacqueline to talk about like what is helpful for her to hear in her grieving process and what she really wishes people wouldn't say. And I would like scroll through those comments and be like, a lot of people would be like, thank you for sharing this. I actually like never know what to say when my friends are going through something and I just didn't know where to go to like find that information. So it's made me consider that just like social media can be a really open platform for people to talk about those things and be like, Hey, like this is something that I'm experiencing and this is what I wish you wouldn't say like this too shall pass or like whatever people say during grief is just like not helpful like sometimes people just want to hear like this sucks like this is the worst and it's so unfair and this shouldn't have happened to you but I'm not going to leave like I'm here to support you like that kind of stuff is really helpful yeah just how can I help 
mm-hmm. that's that's helped me. Yeah. Because it's cause that's that's the only thing I can say. What can I do? What I can do or can't do. Mm-hmm. I wonder. You know, we talked about culturally, we're afraid to share things, and I just wonder. Do you think this is a worldwide thing or just in America or just in Pennsylvania or in Utah? I think it is somewhat of a symptom of a lot of things that are true about how the U.S. functions and kind of like our internal value system, which is which feels weird to say, because I know we're so different as people like we have such different ideologies and stuff, but there is like a sense that most people I know can kind of all come together and agree that there's this feeling like you are supposed to individually create your happiness. And um, I have experienced other cultures that don't really look at it that way. Like I've experienced other cultures that are very community oriented and understand that like family is a concept that you define in your own sense like um just even like i i went on a trip to cameroon when i was in college and just experienced this like sense of community that i really never had of like people really looking out for each other in a different way not like a hey i'm being polite as your neighbor and i'm gonna like put your trash bin out it's like if you don't have what you need like my day can't continue like that kind of thing like we don't really have that here and it's like kind of a huge bummer to me and like I think if I had never experienced it in other cultures I wouldn't even think that it could exist and so like I think this is I know that my book is just kind of the tip of the iceberg in a lot of ways and there's a lot of stuff that I think that we just like really can't fix overnight about how we think about achieving what we want in life and that it's somehow supposed to happen on your own volition rather than because you have all these people in your life and it's like like there's like these celebratory moments that we have like you know a a wedding or like a birthday party or whatever and it's completely normal to be with tons of other people to celebrate those things and like we even have funerals and like we have those moments for grief and stuff like that but it's like that sense of community kind of ends in a way and I just feel like there are people who are doing it better and so I guess the very long answer to your question is I think that it is kind of a a symptom of the culture that we have here in the U.S. but that's not to say that it's probably not true and happening in other places too. I think if we were all supposed to do it by ourselves we wouldn't we'd all we wouldn't be here amongst communities there wouldn't be millions of people living next to each other. Mm-hmm. that's like it's like a support system that's given to you and it's all around you you just have to reach out and grab it mm-hmm. but we we because we do need each other for everything your self-starter individual I, you know i love the idea of the individual but the individual reaches out to other individuals mm-hmm. you know i mean even like success things it's like build your team build the team build the team to help mm-hmm. you get to where you want to go you can't do it all by yourself yeah we do need to rely on on people and it's not there's i think there's a maybe there's a thinking that i'm weak if i have to rely on somebody for anything and i get that uh years ago about 14 years ago we lost a business and almost lost our house and i was on 
I tapped into the welfare system for four, five, six months and yeah. used it for what it was there for and had a really hard time accepting help from my neighbors. Yeah. And I realized back then that if I don't allow someone to help me, then I am stealing their blessings. They, they, they need that. Yeah. And so now somebody wants to help. I'm like, thank you very much. I'll take your help because I don't, we, when we, when we offer help, we don't want it to get rejected. Yeah, I think that's like a lot of empathy too, like to consider that someone else wanting to help you is going to make them feel good. Like a lot of times, like we reject help because we're only thinking about our own pride and like, oh, what will they think of me and stuff like that. But I've never thought less of anyone for letting me help them. So why do I put myself? Well, why do we do that to ourselves? Yeah, it's weird. Like I've always like, I think if I, even if I'm like, Hey, can I get you a glass of water or something? And someone's like, yes, please. Like, there's no part of me that's like, oh, I can't believe that they would let I me give them a glass. <laughs> I am so above you. Right. Yeah. Like I'm always like, <laughs> I'm so grateful that they're letting me do something for them. Cause that's yes. all I want to do. Like if I'm having someone over to my place, I want to offer you things. I want to like, I want to make you feel comfortable and nurtured. Like I think those things are very inherent to us, but because of our, like the society that we're in, we're taught to be like, no, always say no to help. Like, don't let people help you do this or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, why though? Like it's, it's a better experience for everyone. It's, it's just vulnerability and it's like an intimacy. And like, even if it's with a stranger helping you with some, something, you're going to have an experience where you feel closer to them or like you see their humanity because they wanted to help you and they care about you. Yeah. How dare you show that you're human? Yeah. That's pretty bold. Yeah. But I felt that way a lot. Like, um, you know, there were a few times when I was sharing about what was going on with my dad on social media. And it was kind of like, I was getting to this point where I was like, okay, if I'm going to talk the talk, I should walk the walk. Like I keep telling people like, it's a great space for this. And like, you can use it for that. And that's not to say that like every person who has social media and is experiencing grief in my eyes needs to talk about it in that space. I'm just saying like, it is one of many spaces where I think that you can find community and solidarity, but I felt like it was important for me to talk about it. And one of the things that I felt comfortable with was joining this like closed Facebook group for caregivers. But one of the things that I felt super uncomfortable with was when we were looking for a liver donor for my dad, they suggested like, and they recommended using social media to like find a donor that many of the people who found living donors used social media channels and just like put the ask out there and stuff. And like, I could not think of a more embarrassing thing that I had to do. Like, I don't know why, like, I was just like, this is so embarrassing. Like I ask for donations at my job and feel embarrassed sometimes to like ask people to contribute to work that I find really important. Like there's, there's not like there's a disconnect for me in terms of understanding that like, you know, getting those donations keeps us going and what we're doing. And there was such a direct correlation between like, you need a living donor or else your dad is going to die. Like no one said it to me that way, but that was the situation. Like he was so sick. It was like a hundred degrees in the summertime. And he was saying that he was cold. Like he was so sick. 
and I just like had this sense of urgency that I didn't know what to do with and we had to like start asking people and I was like I could not think of uh, something that would make me feel more shame than having to ask people to do something this big like it's just it's a huge ask and to use social media in that way I'd never used my social media platform in that way I'd always used it to share my writing or like good things that were happening in my life. And here I had to be like, Hey, I have a really sick family member. Like we are, this is our last resort. Like we really need this. And it made me self-reflect on times that like, I might've judged people for asking for things from other people when they were in need and stuff like that. And it's just like, I feel like I really had to like reflect on what I cared about and if you know nothing mattered more to me at that time than getting through the situation we were in and I just realized I didn't care that much what people thought about me but I think that is a barrier for people a lot especially if their social media is a way to project one image of themselves that you know in some of these situations it kind of shatters that's fascinating that that you were so resistant to that when it was literally a life-saving, but you asked for money and donations for your work, right? Mm-hmm. That that matters too, but that's interesting that you res- that, that how you felt. That's a fascinating perspective. I thought people were going to judge our family. Like I thought that a lot of judgment and shame would come back on us. And maybe people were thinking in that way, but it just wasn't more important than what we were dealing with. Like. What did you think they were going to judge you for? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's a secret and it's something I've spoken about with other people a lot. And it's something my dad really comfortably speaks about too. But a lot of the reason that he was sick and because he had liver issues, um, a lot of that came from like drinking his whole life. That, then that, that perspective makes sense. And I was worried people were going to judge us for those reasons. But I also, there's, I have a really good friend. He's an engineer. And one of the things he taught me was when he was in school, they were taught to ask why five times every time they like had a problem in front of them. And like, that's been really helpful for me to unpack. Like, okay, so I'm worried that people are going to judge our family. Why? Well, because part of this is a symptom of my dad's drinking. Why? Well, because that kind of runs in the family. Why? There's some generational trauma that like we haven't really worked through as a family and a lot of families experience that. Why? There are structural issues in this country that really like kind of lend themselves to experiences that are super common that we don't talk about. Like, so it's just like little things like that, that I'm like, why would I shoulder all of this like shame for stuff that is incredibly common across people everywhere like these are not isolated experiences that we're having we just really learn to only talk about some of them do you think the the because he had a drinking issue for a while that people will be like well he's getting what he deserved Matt mentality is yeah. as horrible as that may be yeah that's that's fascinating yeah that makes sense why you would think that And then it always makes me want to like, you know, I'm never talking to people who explicitly say that, but I would always want to just ask them like, but does that mean I deserve that? Like, no, I know I don't. And 
anyone that I know who's dealt with a substance use issue was also fighting really hard. Um, and that just, you know, uh, that's not what the book ended up being about. And it is something that I've always been aware about. And I feel like even as a young person, I feel like I'm more aware of like substance use issues than a lot of my peers just because of that. Like I was raised to be like a little bit more aware of it. I didn't end up writing about it because it didn't feel like it was like the main message, but it, it, there's a lot of that there too. Like in stuff that I just would hope that people consider that like, we just need to, if you feel like you don't understand a situation someone's going through, you have two options, which is to be like, oh, okay, well, I don't understand it, so I can't judge it, or you can try to learn about it, but that's kind of it, like, you know, this whole situation and writing about these things has made me have this whole process when I see other people going through things, when I want to be quick to judgment about like, oh, I can't believe they would share that, or oh, they're going through this and that, that I'm like, I don't know their situation or I do know their situation, so I know better. There's just no reason to be like harsh or awful towards people for these things that are super common across the board. Yeah, we just need to get in more of a habit of just letting people be. Mm -hmm. How can I help? I don't care how you got here. Can I ask you a question? Uh, yes, you can. This is a two-way two okay. thing, yeah. So yes, please do. Um, I'm not going to make an assumption that you've read the entire book, but I did want to ask you. I did read you the did. entire book. That was my assignment before I called, had you on as I had to read the book. Okay. A question that I had, because um, I think sometimes I get into like an echo chamber with people who like completely agree with everything that I've written, which is cool. But I also would love to know if there was anything in there that you wanted to understand better or you didn't agree with. No, there was nothing that I didn't agree with. I was, I liked the concept and was really just eating it up. And I'm not saying that just to suck up to you, but, and, and to be fair, my retention isn't very good. I read it and I'm like, this is great. <laughs> and I remember, as you were telling these stories, I remember them. Mm-hmm but I don't remember. I couldn't have said, Oh, I remember that story. I remember a couple of them, like the one I made a comment about to you earlier, mm -hmm. but no, there was nothing that I think it was, it's such a new thing you're doing. I was just eating it up really. So I don't know if I'm, if I, if I'll read it again and if I find something, I'll let you know. I'm like, you know what? That was crap. <laughs> no, I think I, I, you know, I want to strengthen the idea. I want to understand if there's something about it that's, you know, not resonating with people or something like that. I think um, as much as in the beginning, I was coming from my like sociology brain and some of my, in, in the beginning, what I mean is like when I started writing and started conceptualizing what I wanted to write about, I was coming from like kind of the way that I wrote about things in college and looking at them from like a, you know, society functions in this way. And um, that's definitely where my background is, but it also lent itself to a lot of just like very human writing too. And being like, I talked to this person and this is how they felt. And like, hopefully you can consider from their perspective that this was a helpful 
way to process by sharing on social media or like what this did for them. Oh, was there going to be a follow-up or, or, or like a revision or, you know, like a, a deeper study into this or, cause I think it's a, I think there's a huge need in place for it. Um, I don't know. There's a part of me that feels kind of resistant to being like kind of tying myself to conversations of grief because it's not the only thing. Like, I think I'm, I guess the answer is, I don't know. I don't know if I'll keep writing in this way. I think I've learned something really important about myself that like, I need to always be writing. Um, and I didn't realize that until I was about to submit my manuscript for copy editing. And before I submitted it, I wanted to read the chapters that included my dad and my sister to my dad and my sister. And so I kind of like sat them down and was like, Hey, like, these are the chapters that you're in. And I just want to make sure you're okay with what I'm sharing because in the event that I get super rich and famous, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I need them hey, to approve of all this. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Why not? I just Why wanted not? them to be comfortable with what I shared about them. So I was reading it and I had a really like powerful moment with my dad where I was like reading him all these chapters and like he was tearing up and um he like once I was finished, he like looked at me and was like, Lee, how did you write this? Like, how did you do all this while it was happening? That must have been like that just seems like it would be so hard. And I realized then that I was like, I had to write about it as it was happening or else I think that I would have just completely stopped. Like there was something about writing while he was recovering and while we were going through like all of this, all of the complications of his recovery that happened over several months and I was writing, it just like kept me going in a way that like, I think I just would have completely stopped and I wouldn't have been able to function and being able to like process and have something to like think about and work on and have it feel so meaningful to me too. And all of that together, like that was so important to me that really like anything that's happened with the book afterwards has just been like an exciting addition to the process. But I was just like, this was, this helped me get through something really hard. It's a bookumentary. Yeah. Literally. And that's the best, obviously the best way to do it is while you're going through it because then it's fresh and it's real and you're not having to make things up or wonder or try to remember. Mm -hmm. So I like that. You can use a bookumentary. 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 Did you just come up with that now? I just, it just hit me. <laughs> so you can steal it. <laughs> um, how's that different from a memoir? It sounds cooler. Yeah, you're right. Way sexier <laughs> than memoir. Memoir sounds that's like symposium. Yeah. Snorta. Yeah. But bookumentary. Bookumentary. Yeah. I think if I were to write something else, I'd also probably talk about like and I posted something about this recently, like digital love languages or ways that we're using all the tools that we have to connect with each other. So like, you know, through 
I think this is actually a pretty uplifting book, but I think because grief is in the title, like people are might be like turned off to it and be like, well, I don't want to read a book about grief. Like I don't relate, but I think it's a lot easier for people to relate to messages of love and connection and stuff like that. And like, you know, this book for crying out loud is about love and connection, which is about the other side of it. But um, I'd be interested in exploring like, you know, ways that people feel loved and connected to each other in a digital era too. Yeah. You could follow up with the, yeah, the five love languages, digital style. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be great. Mm-hmm. That's a great segue. Yeah. Boom, there you go. Next project. <laughs> so what, and, and, and maybe wrapping up, what, what do you want to share? Is there anything you want to talk about that I haven't asked you that you think is really important that people should hear? I can end with a message, but something else that I didn't talk about at all is that there's a fiction section of this book, which you know, because you read it. Um, But that is a pretty unconventional book format. And um, also I can't, I can't see it any other way now that I did it. And I had a really great editor through this process who was like super willing to just like see my vision and support it. And I came to this point in the writing process where I just felt like, like there's definitely information out there about social media and how people are using it and how it's affecting us. But I think that the like psychological, like more like long-term understanding of it is still yet to be understood. Like there's, there is research about how social media has a direct impact on, for example, young girls and eating disorders and stuff like that. And like, we, we know that there are effects of social media, people using filters and people editing their photos and all of these different things that have a direct impact on body image. And so like, that's there, but I think there's a lot that's missing in terms of how we connect through experiences like grief or how people are like actually interacting with and experiencing these platforms. And so I just felt like there was like kind of a dead end with what I was trying to understand. And I'm not a social scientist and I'm not a professional in that field at all. I just wanted to be like, Hey, I have questions that I want to ask my friends, and like write about it and stuff like that. And so I did this interview with a woman who um, was, or she is still Um, but before the time of her divorce, she was like an influencer and like very, um, like mostly representing brands and stuff like that. And she was very big on Pinterest and, um, and then she found out that her husband had been cheating on her for a long time and they went through this divorce and she kind of had this moment where she was like, am I going to share this with all these people who follow me? Like, how am I going to talk about this? And if I do talk about it, are people going to leave? And like, a big part of my job is this platform. Like it's, it's something that I think anyone could easily trivialize unless you're in that position and you realize that your career and your integrity are like kind of in this weird conversation and fight with each other. And you're like, okay, like how am I going to present who I am? And I just like was listening to her story and was like really trying to picture like, how would I have handled this if I was in this situation? I don't know. And I did not know how to write about it in the context of my story. Um, But I did know how to fictionalize it a little bit. And so I wrote a chapter called Influencer Therapist, which was um, kind of based off of a joke that I had for a long time about, 
Um, Cause I just thought that influencers had silly little jobs that were kind of useless and that like, you know, I just couldn't find any value in them. And I was like, Oh my God, what happens in therapy sessions with influencers? Like I'm dying to know, like I want to write a creative essay about it, but I was coming from a very like different perspective that was like really lacking in compassion for people after I talked to this woman, I was like, I want to try to like understand and write out her story in this way. And so I wrote this chapter called Influencer Therapist and I shared it with my editor. And I was like, I know this is weird because I haven't been writing any fiction so far, but I would like to be able to do that and explore some of the more like imaginative scenarios that I think could illustrate what I'm trying to talk about better than interviewing people. And he was really supportive and kind of led me in different directions of different ways that I could do that. And so there's a whole fiction section that's like, this is kind of what I would hope it looks like if we understood how to use these tools or if we had different tools to connect through social media and like stopped seeing technology as this like evil thing and just saw it as a tool that is part of our society right now, just like any other tool. And if you know how to use it really well, you can connect with people just as well as you can in person um and I don't always even feel like people are connecting that well in person so it's like you know why judge that technology can also be a space for it because it, it can just be a different space so all of that to say there is a fiction section of this book which I think is fun <laughs> it is fun <laughs> do you think the social media is and maybe it's doing both maybe it's helping and harming in terms of people's ability to communicate. I mean, look at my kids and they're on their phones all the time, but they don't like to interact with other humans. Mm-hmm. They're very shy about it, but they're always on their thing on, you know, and maybe they're just consuming stuff and not having actually having conversations, but again, it's a tool. It's probably providing. I love the tool. It's allowed me to, share my thoughts my voice mm-hmm. um and honestly i'm an attention seeker to some degree i'm like a clown i like it i like the attention i'll be fair about that or just be honest about that this may sound kind of cheesy and i think it's just because i have one in front of me i'm looking at an allen key which is a tool i picture handing an allen key to a like five-year-old they don't know what to do with it they don't know how to use it or whatever and they might sit there and like bang on the floor with it or whatever and you're just like okay like this just isn't how this tool is intended another person uses it and they can literally put furniture together and like build something and so there's it's just a tool for something bigger like I think that I want people to stop looking at social media as like the end-all be-all for communication if they are looking at it that way and just understand it's another way that we can create community. So like whatever you want to see in that space, like I want people to be more self-reflective about what they want to see on social media. If you're going to use social media, what do you want to get out of it? And is that possible? Does that exist there? And are you doing anything to create that? Like I feel like every once in a while I'll go out of my way to like ask questions of people that I engage with on social media and just try to like understand them better. Like one time I put a poll on my Instagram story that was like, 
when you post a song to your Instagram story, like, why do you do that? Like, cause we all do it. Like it was like a social norm that started happening where people just posted songs to their Instagram story. And I wanted to understand, like, are you posting it because you're listening to a sad song and you feel sad and you want people to know that you feel sad? Or are you posting it because you know this artist is popular and you want people to know that you have like cool music taste or like there's all of these different things and like none of them are right. But like, just let me like see you a little better and like, let's engage a little bit better and like connect more. And so like, yeah, I think I just, sometimes I just feel like people are like we're all using it at this like really basic level and could be using it in a much better way and forming much better connections and using a tool that again we keep saying it's just a tool yeah it's not evil it's that we're using it in ways that are kind of evil sometimes you know it's like tv when it came out i'm sure people thought that's from the devil well it's just another tool but and you mentioned that you know people posting songs i see those and i don't even know what to do with them i just move on because there's no context they didn't say anything it's like a song like am i supposed to click on it and listen to it i don't know what to do with it right like are you posting this because you want your ex to see that you're listening to the song like what is this how am i supposed to know (laughs) context i would say context or or another thing that i have a peeve about is when someone will put something that almost like i call it baiting mm-hmm. and i don't know if they're doing that on purpose but they're like hey need your prayers and they won't that's it I'm like mm-hmm. all right well if i'm going to do that help me understand what i'm praying for or who, what i'm giving my good vibes to and i so you have to reach out and ask and maybe again like i don't know mm-hmm. that's just my peeve like Tell me what I'm doing here. Give me some context and I'll I'll join your club. But if right. you just put something out there and do a drive-by, I don't know what to do with it. Right. And then it makes me wonder, like, are they not comfortable sharing what's going on? Like, how could they share that with people and get more yeah. specific prayers, maybe? like <laughs> Stop teasing me. Yeah. Kind of thing. So, Like, I could sit here and send vibes out to all my best friends all the time and be like, just hope you're having a good day. But, like, if they're having a really if they're struggling specifically, like I want to focus on that. Yeah. So you can, you know, so you can do something, I guess, you know, but yeah. How, uh, how can people find this fabulous book? How do they, how do they, how do they get it and reach out Um, and connect with you and how do they get the book? Yeah. The book is for sale on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble. It's for sale online. There's a local bookstore where I live that's also selling my book. It's called Pocket Books. It's a fantastic Ooh. bookstore. They hosted my very first book reading. Um, and so I'm really excited to have a local bookstore selling it, but I know that, you know, that's not always the easiest for people. Um, the full title is for crying out loud, connecting through grief and loss in a digital era. And um, I also share about it a lot on Instagram my Instagram is a combination of like, you know, my personal life and then also sharing about my book. But um, my handle is just Leah Zickman. Your personal life? I don't know if we should look into that. <laughs> it's too much for people too to much. see. <laughs> too much, too much. 
Well, Leah, thank you so much. This was fun. I really enjoyed the book. It's just an, it's just a different concept that is, I think, you know, the timing is just perfect right now. Um, so I, I appreciate you writing it and I'm glad to know you and looking forward to whatever else you're doing. Maybe we'll cross paths again on StoryCorps or something again. I don't know. Thank you. I really appreciate you reading it and just giving me space to talk about it. Well, it's all it's the least I can do. You know, why not? This is a good idea. I, I don't push pushings out that I don't think are a good idea. So uh, I think more people can and learn from this, learn from your stories. And we all can, we all can learn from each other's stories. And each one of us has something that can bless or uplift or, you know, entertain at the very least other people. And I think we ought to share more of it. Be nice to each other for crying weird, out loud. Weird, weird, weird. Maybe that's the, that's it. Be nice to each other for crying out loud. And we can talk about how not to be assholes to each other online. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll write the forward for or the backward whatever <laughs> that's that's the drum i'm beating all the time perfect <laughs> anyway, so thank you so much thank you again for listening to the parish the thought show we would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback if you love or hate what you hear please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish the Thought Show.